The following is a long-awaited conversation with Mr. Sean Cahill and Mr. Lou Elizondo. Now, let me say that this conversation in which I had with these two gentlemen is quite starkly different, in my humble opinion, in conversation pertaining to the topics discussed than most other conversations in which these gentlemen have had. Now, that is not to disrespect or disparage any other interview in which any of you may have conducted or watched with these gentlemen. Actually, I want to thank those that have conducted such insightful interviews with Mr. Elizondo and Mr. Cahill. It's because of the community and you guys that I've been able to formulate hopefully half decent questions that you folks may again hopefully find insightful inquisitive and intriguing now before i jump into explaining a couple more things i do want to say that we do have a patreon www.patreon.com generation z it is the only thing that keeps the show going and again folks i have zero um this is zero disrespect to anyone not just within the uh, ufo uap community but in general i personally don't run ads simply because if i'm being entirely honest with you folks as i go about my day you know watching youtube videos on my phone and all that i don't want to put things out that i wouldn't want to have um, dare i say interrupting me myself so again this is no disrespect to anybody but that is why i am bringing up the patreon mainly because we don't run ads on the channel or any form of monetization in that regard now i also want to give a special thank you to mr alexi Novitsky and and also, I want to say that after this interview is aired, whether it's on the Patreon side or on the public side, within the next two weeks on this channel, live for free, public, we will be doing a live stream um, analysis of this interview so you folks can come visit the channel in real time speak with me in real time on the live chat as we play the interview we can you know engage in some good constructive criticism pertaining to which paths and topics we should or should not follow in my humble opinion and as well of course i will be shouting out a handful of other individuals that have helped me get to where i am uh, on that live stream as well so again without further ado folks please do enjoy cheers Probably overgeneralizing with a whole lot of other things as well. Fractal cymatics, dare I uh, postulate, uh, propose, not saying that is the answer, but just proposing. Well, in a nearly infinite universe of patterns, I mean, the easy okay. answer to a lot of these is yes. You know, but there, there's things to be gained from those things. I mean, if we could go immediately into two hours of ancient cultures just by, by looking at the cymatics of, of an ohm at a certain frequency and then going into caves and looking at paintings and things like that, trying to figure out, well, how the heck did, how the heck did they know that these frequencies represented these shapes and does shape have importance to frequency? Is it just a, an after effect? Anyways, um, I don't want to digress too much, but we live, we're, li uh, you and I had a conversation where I talked about the needle on the record. And this moment in time, this moment in the song feels profound to us. And each time we peel off another layer of what's on that record, we realize we're on something much larger. We have a tendency to, to find patterns and apply meaning too quickly. Um, that meaning extends across the whole system. Yes, there's meaning, but there's never in a fractal spectral system, there's never a one point source. There's never a eureka moment that captures everything. Um, there, there's almost, in my opinion, no, yeah, everybody's always looking for their, everybody's always looking for their theory of relativity instead of laying in the unified field theory. 
with everyone else, if that makes sense. Oh, that does, at least to me personally, does that ever. And I want to help the audience to the best of my ability elaborate on this. Um, so with that being said, following the same line of thought, um, as I understand it, for those watching or listening later on, please forgive me if this is not precisely the case. I barely made it through grade nine math myself, but um, entropy, I believe, is defined as random chaos or action within a particular vicinity, um, at least on the surface level of academia, as I understand it. Now, I wonder, what if this just exploring ideas, what if entropy is not particularly chaos, but is rather a set of orders we're just not used to viewing it as similar to Salvatore Pays on uh, Kurt's show um, pertaining to yeah. his patents when he said it is just a new perspective on old physics. Dave, that's 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 very insightful. So first and foremost, fractals are infinite. Um, and that's why you don't have a single source point. Um, fractals apply from the very, very small to the very, very large and the physical, the metaphysical, uh, psychological even. So what do I, and let me, if I can, walk your, your, your audience very quickly through that. I want to get to that part of what you just said uh, about uh, entropy. I'm going to write that down so I don't forget it. Okay. Um, if you, you take a, a human brain and you look at the neural patterns of the human brain and you compare that to the blood capillaries of our lungs and you compare that to the vein systems of us, and you compare that to, to a leaf on a tree and you compare that to the branches of a tree growing out, uh, they all look the same. But then look at the way that water, the pattern water takes when it goes down uh, a, a mountainside. It's the same pattern. When you look at lightning, the pattern that lightning makes, it's the same thing. When you look at the large, if you take a photograph of the human neural brains and you apply that and look at to the large super super cluster galaxies, uh, a picture of our universe, you see the same the same pattern. Now, why is that? Because that's 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 the nature telling you something. That's a blueprint. That's a fundamental blueprint of every single thing. In fact, if you take one in my line of work, a, a link diagram of a terrace network, it's the same pattern, right? How is that possible? How is it possible that? That something that consciously thinks and breathes is going to follow the same exact rules as something as a random rock floating in space when it collides with another hitting that fractal pattern. Because that's a blueprint. That's, that's a fundamental blueprint of the entire universe. It's very much in us as it is in everything else. And we are part of that fractal. You can still go down and you can go up and it never ends. Um, and so why is that interesting? And how does that relate to entropy? Because even in chaos, there is order. And that's what is... I'm not sure a lot of people really, really appreciate that. That's why we call it random chaos. Perfect example. If, if I look at a tree limb up close uh, and I said, you know, no tree limb is exactly the same as another tree limb. There's always going to be a slight angle of departure differently from one, from one little branch to another branch and so on and so on. And it's infinite, right? So therefore, if the branches on a tree are not identical to any other branch on a tree ever in the world, how is it that when I step back 10 feet, all of a sudden I recognize an oak tree is an oak tree is an oak tree? Why? How is that possible? How can it be in all of its infinite uh, randomness, yet when I step back far enough, all of a sudden now that randomness is a pattern. It's a definitive pattern. Zoom out. And Right. And, you and, and by the way, that's relative for different people. Some people don't have to stand back 10 feet. Some people can see that order at five feet. Some people have to stand back 20 feet for that aha moment, right? And it's a little bit different for everyone. You're, but can, sorry. Yeah, no, no, please go. Is it sort of like, okay, um, I'm just going to give this example because I recently watched the uh, the most recent Batman movie and there's a scene where Bruce Wayne is so frustrated with trying to figure out, as I recall correct, uh, 
probably incorrectly, um, what's going on with respects to the, the villains he's fighting. And what he does is he goes, okay, screw it. He goes back to, you know, Bruce Wayne's mansion. He pushes all the tables aside. He starts spraying graffiti on the floor. And after he's done making that web for his mind and his eyes to visualize, he takes a big step back to view it. And then, as I understand it, his uh, butler, uh, Alfred, was like, I don't see what we're looking at here. And then Bruce Wayne says, go stand upstairs. You'll see from below. And then the butler goes up there and then he looks down. He's like, oh, I see it now. I'm going to make a joke here, but uh, let's not forget Batman is profoundly ill. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm just using that scene because it's the I'm first just, I'm just, I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. No, Forest for the Trees is everything. But um, let me add to it. This is my opinion. Um, this is one of those opinions that I think I'm right, so I'll, I'll stomp my foot on it. Sure. Um, entropy is the tendency for the universe to move towards disorder. Um, I think that's the proper way to, to engineer a system, for lack of a better word, um, if you're going to insert something that has a tendency to desire order. And that is what consciousness in life seems to be. Um, we seem to enter into a disorder we've entered into or we were born with a disordered environment and we have decided to take those 52 cards off of the floor and form them back into a suited deck and and then and that's that's where we gain our our usefulness when we lose that desire to create when we just get on the train that someone else created to go to the place someone else created to do the job someone else created to to watch the movie someone else created to listen to the songs what are you creating in your life? And I don't want to get too deep. I don't want to spark anybody's religious fervor. But what do you make? What do you create? How do you order this world? Because we were, we were born, for lack of a better word, into a disordered world. And if you look around us, you can see the, the, the remnants of our ancestors' attempts at order. And you can, you can dream about our, our want for future order, for more unity and understanding. Um, you know, it's deep. Yeah, sure. But, uh, you know, none of us are masters of the now on this call, you know, right. so we're still struggling in the middle of this. Right. So I, it's, you know, I get into the deep metaphysical, but I think that as we try to figure out these, these new things that seem to be entering our perception as a, as a, as a human collective, that those are, those are very important things to understand. Thank you. Um, before uh, we, we move on, I did want to, like, as I've been saying, bring up this whiteboard sketch very quickly. And for the audience watching uh, afterwards on the visual sense, please forgive my uh, Da Vinci-like talents, if you will. But um, <laughs> that's, that's total sarcasm. But there's uh, two diagrams I wanted to, to ask about. And I just wanted to know simply for the sake of, because there's some other questions I wanted to get to, um, if... Um, both of you gentlemen would be so gracious to potentially sort of, if we will, uh, play a game sort of, as they say, hot or cold, you know, when you're warm, you're close when you're, you know, so to speak. Um, so we see here, this is a sketch. It may seem confusing to the audience, but I, I will explain this. So it's been proposed that um, motherships of, uh, of craft, if you will, that deploy smaller craft, again, that speaks to the scaling of things, go, go figure, right, um, tend to stay close to planetary orbits. And I, I want to be very clear, this is uh, um, a sketch of, of mine, and I'm very uh, gracious that you guys are indulging me here. Now, if this red dot were to be, say, Earth, and this purple dot were to be a non-human uh, species, hypothetically, vibrating at a different state, if you will, 
instead of say, for example, they want to get to earth and they know regardless, again, I'm making large assumptions here for the sake of this example, I want to be clear, uh, that their craft could say vibrate down, vibrate up again, speaking of scale, but say, for example, if the craft wanted to or these beings wanted to get to earth, instead of going this way and saying, holy crap, I'm just, again, say 500 miles, I'm using scale relative to how we humans perceive it for this example, 500 miles going this way, and then I'd have to vibrate down to get to earth is, is the long way, so to speak. Rather, I can vibrate down to a much, dare I say, um, slower paced vibrational state. And instead of having to go 500 kilometers, I only need to go 50. I move 50 and then I vibrate back up and we are at our target. Is this a, um, am I cold? Am I, is it, am I warm? If I may ask. Well, I, I think it's, it's interesting. The problem is that, you know, you're, we're looking at this from a, from a geometry perspective and, sure. and if vibrations truly did follow, you know, the circumference, for example, of a circle, then one could say, look, if I want to get to a point, uh, the, the closer I get into a smaller circumference, the less distance I have to travel. The problem is with vibrations, we don't, uh, we, we don't, we can't really represent them in a in a geometric perspective like that. It's not that higher higher vibrations have a larger circumference okay. uh, versus, in fact, higher frequencies have a much. Uh, if if you know what, what familiar with with frequencies are. Um, you know, basically your amplitude uh, and your, well, it, it, let me see if I can describe this in, in, in simple terms. Uh, your, your trough in the crest of, the, of, the, of your spike of your waveform is very close to another. It's compressed. So you have high frequency mm -hmm. versus low frequency, right? Uh, which is a, a much longer distance between, not necessarily, but wavelength between amplitude, wavelength between amplitude and, and, and each each top of the uh, of the of the wave, so um, you know it's it it it's certainly if you were talking in geometric terms that would that would be potentially correct. The problem is I'm not sure if that analogy accurately represents. Um, I mean, if you're talking if you're using it as an analogy, then I understand. But I but but physically speaking, um, it's it I'm not sure that that sure. The circumference analogy would would work. I just want to say for the audience and for you guys as well, I'm just uh, simply planting an idea that is not accurate. I'm just exploring and I'm hoping that those that watch later could again, going back to the beginning of our chat, interpret this in a way that I haven't yet, and maybe see it in a way that I haven't. I would add from a purely naval perspective, sure. look, thinking, thinking, and, and let's, and obviously you're talking about some kind of technology we don't understand. We're not even messing with orbital dynamics and, and home and transfers and all those kinds of I'm things. I'm making jumps, yeah. Totally, totally. But um, but the other thing about- I like your thinking. I do like your thinking. Yeah, oh that's, yeah, that's yeah. Very okay. Helpful. Thank you. I, I appreciate We've just it. got so many things involved, like like that two-dimensional diagram. I understand what you're trying to say, but like, let me throw some monkeys in the, in the thing and sure. go. Mercury's- um, the planet Mercury, Mercury's uh, orbital time and, and rotational time and gravitational density is one is one group of things. Venus, Earth, Mars, all those other things impact the space time metric around the sun differently than each other. 
So it's not as simple as a graduate. It's not like the tiny planets are by the sun and the big planets are at the edge. And we're talking about a gradual, pardon me for using this woo-woo term, but density graduation. Sure. It's, it's not that simple. So I think it's, it's way more of a weird algorithm. But let me put it this way too. If I'm on my way from here to Mars and I put all on my, from our perspective, I put all the brakes on and I stop dead in space. Where am I? No idea. You no longer have a reference, except if, if you're going to tell me where I am in triangulated proportion to like three quasars. There is, there is no lat long. There is no, there is no actual coordinate in space for, for, a, for an object at rest. You know, like a muamua, if it, if it was at rest, we passed by it. You know, there's a lot of speculation that a muamua didn't move through the solar system, that a muamua might as well for you and me be like some buoy sitting there. And our little bubble of solar system went through that region of space time. But again, where is a muamua now? It's, we can track it triangulated based on other things we see, but it's not at 190 degrees north and 43 degrees south. There is no going back to that. Uh, if Once you don't see it anymore, you can only extrapolate. It's non-local. It's everywhere and nowhere simultaneously, like the cherry example. And I'll tell you, it gets even more, more complex than that because we get into relativity. As Sean said, but if I want to go from, let's say, Earth to, let's say, Mercury, and I'm going to say it's going to take me uh, 25, more than that, but let's just say arbitrarily 25 days to get there. Well, actually, it doesn't because I have to plan on the fact that time, an Earth minute on Earth is not the same as a Mercury minute because the sun is disrupting space-time much more dramatically and warping space-time in the orbit of Mercury. So therefore, a Mercury minute is not an Earth minute. And so therefore, if I plan on going to Mercury using Earth minutes or Earth hours or Earth days or years, I'm not going to make it. I have to, I have to account Every inch closer I get to the sun, there is an infinitesimally small change in the warping of space-time. Yeah. That's a fact. And so I can't just say I'm going to get there in 25 days. I have to account every step of the way the difference in space-time in order to point my rocket in the right direction. The idea that Matthew McConaughey movie with the, the black hole you know, is a, is a huge gross example of what we're going through every day that, you know, Lou talks about the astronauts on the space station experiencing time at a different rate than we are. But there are areas of Earth where, where the gravitation gravity is, believe it or not, higher in some places on Earth than it is on others. We're not just a homogenous 1.0 Earth gravity everywhere. There are places where the where the physical effects of, of the earth change that and so yeah, you have to you have right. to make the, the bottom of the, the ocean or, or the yeah. top of the himalayas time's going to go by slightly different people living there are experiencing time at a different rate than the people down the hill you know and and people on different rotating bodies throughout the solar system would be experiencing so, time and it, it communications would be a lot of fun when we one ever is, spread out across the solar yeah, system. Could one <laughs> hypothesize that when remote viewing, you're simply viewing that event occur in a different vibrational state, therefore it's already occurred at a different state, except not in yours? You know, there's a lot of theories. Sean, I, I can speak to it only simply from, from you know, a, a, a government perspective, and I'm not sure we really understood it. You know, I think, honestly, this is where maybe somebody who's a little bit more steeped in metaphysics could be helpful because, you know, my, my opinion is based upon, you know, the scientific evidence, which frankly hasn't done a good job explaining it. 
Okay. Metaphysically for me, what, like I have personal experience, which is anecdotal. And again, none of us can take what's in our head and put it outside our head for someone else to walk around and really truly examine. We can only use our words, our actions and things like that. But to me, um, what we're talking about here, let me, let me, I hate to do this, but can you rephrase the question? I'll let my, or say the question one more time. Uh, specifically pertaining to, oh man, I got a brain fart. I'll edit this out. I'll, I'll, I'll edit this <laughs> okay, out. Okay, no problem, Sorry. no problem. Um, um, shit. Oh, vi yes, here we go. When you're remote viewing. We're talking is, about physics. Oh, we're talking about remote yeah. viewing. Talking Are you about, just seeing the yeah, event occur okay, in a different you. vibrational state than what you're vibrating at currently? Right. So, so let me say this. When you have a thought right now, okay, what is that thought? Essentially, photons and chemicals moving around neurons in your brain, okay? Metaphysically, photons are immortal. You know, we can argue whether there's one electron or whether there's a lot of electrons, whether there's one photon or there's a lot of photons. But in, in a sense, a photon never dies. If light and is... If, if that information you're forming in your brain is made of light and light never dies and information never dies and, ener and if energy is never destroyed, it's only changed, then the patterns that have occurred before, even if they're unsubstantial to us, even if our thoughts, memories, actions, and emotions are unsubstantial to us, it doesn't mean it didn't leave a, a record on the substrate of this universe that can be examined probability tells me that the future if it hasn't happened yet is a set of probabilities my past is, is a linear line that i can trace but my future is a branching out of probability and one of those probability lines ends up falling into the linear path now if there's a multiverse all bets are off you know um you're but i can see again scaling where a thought and experience and emotion and action if there were a, a quantum observer there, we would have made a record of it. Hey, Dave, forgive me, by the way, for this, but I'm, I have an appointment here uh, quickly with the, uh, I made with the hospital just because I'm still really kind of yucky. So sure. I, 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 my, my appointment here is at one o'clock. Uh, I'm gonna have to probably uh, lead this conversation to you and Sean at this point, because I still got to go up and put my shoes on and drive over there. Sure. Um, I may look okay, but I'm, I'm actually still pretty, pretty safe. If I could, I may get 10 seconds more of your time. I just wanted to show yeah, you the, sure. white, the whiteboard very quickly. Thank you so much. So we see sure, here, um, speak the concept of non-locality. If I were to use the example that pretend I may, uh, again, going back to scale, not that I would be a metaphorical, uh, I don't, I want to use this word very carefully, uh, superior being or inferior being rather. So we see, for example, time moves in a linear fashion pertaining to cause and then effects say red represents cause, green represents effect. Now, the concept of the cherry burning, I tried to visualize that, uh, Lou, and uh, what you had said. Now, again, red being cause, green being effect. If one perceives time happening simultaneously and neither simultaneously, you could essentially, dare I say, if you had the maybe the potential resources, technology, whether artificial or organic is not for me to say, you could rearrange the order in which these occurred based on the perception of the individuals here. So say the cause, I, I have my papers in my hand, effect, I drop them. But if I view time this way, I can go, hold on a second. I can take that green and go put that there. 
take the red, put it maybe over here, and then just muddy the waters. And the people over here, because they're only viewing it one way, only see what the hell's going on. And this could potentially explain as well uh, when Dr. Hal Pudoff had mentioned to uh, Jesse Mitchells that, uh, and Eric Weinstein that you're more warping the space-time metric. Yeah. Actually, you just put a good explanation of quantum where, where things happen times before the, the thing should happen. So that's really put it. Um, that's, um, you know, somebody's got an audio problem. Uh, a hypothesis. Can you hear me, Dave? It's, uh, it, it's kind of tapping a little bit. Okay. Oh. Uh, just explanation. It sounds like Morse code. Yeah, it's loud. My end? Yeah, I tried to mute myself. Um, would you uh, potentially would you be able to uh, type the answer, Lou, potentially? Um, uh, if, <laughs> let me try this. Sure. He's telling you that your diagram was pretty good. I think he was saying, I think he was saying you took his cigarette analogy and improved on it, but I'm not sure. Uh, you're muted. Can you hear me better now? Way yeah, better. they're yeah. perfect. Yeah. Okay, guys, real quick. I'll, I'll, thank I'll you. shut up. Um, thank you. Thank yeah, you. no worries. Um, first of all, that's a really good explanation of, of some aspects of quantum physics, uh, what, what's known as spooky action in motion, where we see things occurring sometimes before potentially they should be occurring. Um, and, and whatever caused those things to happen, we don't see till after. So, so really interesting, uh, really neat way to put it. Um, you know, unfortunately, I'm not a, a, a quantum physicist, uh, but um, that's, uh, you know, certainly what, what some of the observations we see in quantum physics are. Thank you so much. That was basically essentially what I was trying to, to, to get to as well. I really appreciate yeah. that. Thank you so much, Lou, for your time, truly. Yeah, Dave, my, my honor and pleasure. Sean, always great to, to be with you, brother. You uh, and a big thank you uh, to your audience, Dave, um, for, for spending this time with us. Um, really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, it's been a, been a fun conversation. Um, you know, I hope, uh, uh, hope you keep doing what you're doing, Dave. You're making a difference. And, um, you know, just uh, we, got, we got your back. Thank you so much, sir. And I, I wish you nothing but the best for yourself, your family, and of course, uh, and your, your current state of health as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm going to go take Thanks, care of bro. now. Sure, sure. So take care, Jess. Bye-bye. Thank you. Go well. And we are back. We have to take a little bit of a break because Mr. Elizondo had to um, head over to uh, take care of his, uh, his health, feeling a little bit sick. But I want to thank him immensely for continuing to, uh, to push through that and come on. Um, to be very clear to the audience, I had said to him, you know, we could reschedule. And he said, no, I obligated uh, this time for you. And regardless of how I feel, I'm going to do it. And that said a lot to me. So, Mr. Elizondo, I know you're not here at the moment, but thank you very much, sir. Uh, we have with us, of course, uh, Mr. Cahill, and we're just going to get to some Patreon questions to uh, to, to finish up here. Um, the first one actually is both for Mr. Elizondo and Mr. Cahill, but uh, Nathan asks, um, Mr. Cahill, as the global public becomes wiser through free, unregulated information and education, how will the counterintelligence field likely adapt? To, in your humble perspective, I know that may be more lose field, but there's a lot of assumptions to make in that question. I assume we're talking about the topic. Okay. Uh, the, the, um, sure, the decentralization yeah. of information and sharing amongst open source knowledge. Yeah, I would say that in general, I don't think the IC is, exists to to 
squash information or to censor information. I think that um, the IC exists in that realm to have a, a panel of experts that have a better understanding of group dynamics and things like that, look at information before it's disseminated. But I don't think that their goal is to take in information and to hide it per se. Um, so how would the IC react to more information? Probably with more information collection, more analysts to try to understand that information, more machine learning to try to apply to larger problems. Um, I look at, I don't look at, uh, my government or my the military or the intelligence community as an adversary to the citizenry. I look at it as a tool of the citizenry that's made up of the citizenry. So while it has negative aspects we could assign to it, I see it as the as the the shield and sword that that protect the citizenry. Um, hopefully, before a military has to engage and take lives. So. I don't want to paint a picture of, of more information means a scared intelligence community. I think more information for all of us is good. The question is, is who's curating that information and providing the conclusions based on it? So I think that's what a lot of people worry about. Um, I think open source information of, of this kind is, is, is fantastic. So I think however they respond and react, it'll have to be with the situation at hand. It, it's information cannot be controlled. Got you. Thank you. Um, Kier asks, Mr. Cahill, from uh, based on what you know, is paranormal activity and alleged ET or UAP activity um, more closely related than the public would think? Now, I added this at the end because if we're splitting hairs here, which I think is actually in a lot of ways quite healthy, paranormal simply means a para is just something we're not uh, accustomed to and normal just mean again, so something out of the ordinary. So dare I say... Um, Mr. Cahill is poltergeist activity and alleged UAP activity close, more closely related than the public thinks based on, in your opinion, based on what you know and all of this? Based on um, my personal experience, uh, what I have studied that, that is, is obvious to the plethora of BIA reports and, and years and years of, of various research stovepipes, yes, however, it's very important that people don't immediately apply their cognitive bias to say what that means. Some, someone might say that um, a poltergeist-like event indicates a cloaked gray running around their house being a, a pain in the, in the rear. Um, let's say that's their opinion. Let's say another person believes that um, the energetic intent of a human being can move objects at a distance. Um, those are two sides of a coin. Excellent questions. The phenomenon as a UAP that we see as a nuts and bolts vehicle in the sky that we make an assumption has occupants and cargo and a destination and a power source, in my opinion, is utilizing a medium in the way that a submarine utilizes the ocean, but that we don't necessarily understand the medium. So sometimes we encounter a fish and we wonder if it's a submarine. And sometimes we can encounter an octopus and we wonder if it is a fish. When in fact, we're dealing with a medium that various different things express themselves through into our perception. So yes, I think they're very connected, but in the same way that a submarine, a fish, an octopus, and a surfboard are connected. Thank you. Um, now we see here, Eli asks, 
is Lou briefing AOIMSG. Are you involved, uh, Mr. Elizondo, and will you take up a position perhaps, particularly due to Mr. Elizondo alluding on the UFO Man interview to briefing uh, certain people? Um, I know obviously Mr. Elizondo is not here at the moment, but is there anything you, sir, Mr. Cahill, can uh, speak on behalf of that uh, possibly? I can't speak for whether or not uh, th those, those specific data points are for Lou to answer and Lou alone. But I will say this, that involvement and influence wise, um, the folks that are in leadership now that are surrounding these, these concerted and official efforts within the United States government are reaching out to us um, for information, uh, networking, contacts. Beyond that, it's not my place to say. Thank you. And final question. Um, if you could recommend, sir, three movies and three or three films and three books that people uh, you humbly recommend should read and watch uh, pertaining to uh, increasing their understanding of the phenomenon as a whole, what would they be? You know, I have a hard time coming up with movies. Um, I will say that I, I honestly, I love what Marvel's done. I love what what stories they've chose to tell, um, the manner that they've chosen to tell them and, and the, the linear fashion that they have. I think in a lot of ways that from a generalist point of view for folks that are willing to, um, to, to play with ideas, not, not come to conclusions, I actually think the, that the Marvel universe is showing us an exaggerated example of what we may be bumping into, a, a larger universe with more capable animals um, and I say animal in that an animated consciousness. To me, that's an animal. Um, I think that, that, that you, that's a great place to go um, conceptually because understanding quantum physics, understanding um, time travel and, and, and wrapping your head around what would an advanced being be like, what would its motivations be? I think it's a really great playground to look in. Um, when it comes to books, I can get more specific. Uh, sure. You did ask me the other day, and so I wrote a few down. Thank you. And they're not, um, they're not necessarily UAP related, but they're not so, um, I'm not being so cheeky as to people won't understand what I'm talking about. Um, the first one is called The Truth Machine by James Halpern. And in fact, the second one is also by James Halpern, and it's called The First Immortal. Um, both of these books are not directly linked. They may occur in the same universe. Um, the first immortal is about the first, uh, one of the first people to achieve biological immortality um, in our modern world, and what the philosophical, psychological, familial, and sociological implications of living forever were when it comes to assets and wills and relationships and things like that. I think it really gave, gives an excellent picture as to how we examine the lives that we're living, how long they are, and what they mean to us. Um, and I think it can, it can shed, shed some light on what the, um, the moral and integral set is that has to come with living a life like that, um, as well as the, the, the uh, ability for memory to fail us and how that impacts a lifetime. Um, mm. the, second thing, the second book is called The Truth Machine. Um, the Truth Machine occurs in, in you know, relative... Um, uh, modern time like now where a, a company develops a foolproof, flawless um, lie detector. And essentially it goes from, you know, being a kiosk or like an ATM or something that you can go to 
or something that's a large machine on the stand next to you when you're in, in the um, in court, it goes to being a medallion we all wear on our neck and it becomes a conscious choice whether you're gonna have it turned on or not. Um, and other, you, you're unable to lie to others now. Um, if your intent and, and is deceitful, uh, the little medallion lights up. The way that that changes, the way that being truthful about our feelings, our actions, and our emotions, the way that, that James wrote about that was incredible. Um, most of us, when it comes to self-awareness, if we haven't given into the idea that, that we are all the same, we're all capable of the same I like to say that each of us has a Hitler and a Christ sitting on our shoulders and it's, it's up to us, you know, whether you want to say which wolf you feed or whether it's the angel or the demon, those choices at the end of the day are own, only known to you. And you're the one that's going to judge you first before the rest of us do. And so I think those books actually, and let me say the third one is called um, Mastery of Self um, by Miguel Ruiz. Um, it's more of a philosophical, shamanistic and internal um, book. It's about understanding who we all are. Um, it's my opinion that we all have archetypal aspects of our psychology and our self, almost the building blocks of a human um, that are in place for all of us. And then once those things are in place, the individual that proceeds from that combination of archetypes and the experience they have ends up making the Dave or the Sean instead of just a, a drone that looks the same to everybody else. But mastery of self is key. Understanding who you are first is going to let you make sure that you're heard, validated, loved, and understood fully. Um, and so coupled with the idea of living forever, telling the truth and understanding yourself, I think that that equips us best to tackle the unknown. And whatever this is, whether it's an octopus, a fish, or a submarine, um, I think we're, we're yearning to understand the medium and what its mean, meaning is in our life, the thing that binds all those things together. And I think that, that diving into those ideas would be really helpful for a lot of people who want to get to the next level beyond, are UFOs real? Do aliens exist? Um, because the answer to those things, whether you like the wording I use, the answer is yes, indubitably. The question is, is what is it and what does it mean? And you have to start with knowing who you are. What are you? What do you mean? Right. Well, I think it's fantastic uh, if we end it there, because that is truly a, uh, at least for me personally, a very um, heartwarming and very, uh, dare I say, uh, absorbing concept to grasp. And what's great about this, again, going back to fractals in our earlier discussion is that I may interpret it one way, those watching or listening may interpret it another way, but we can argue that may be the point of it to bring that all slices of that metaphorical pie together. So thank you, sir. As always, I'd like to thank as well, Mr. Elizondo and yourself for your service. Um, I've always said avidly that not just to you guys, but in general, uh, on my new segments as well, too, that if it wasn't for people like yourself, it's quite possible I wouldn't be able to sit behind this microphone here. So thank you very much as always. And we will catch all of you next time. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Dave.